Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Becky, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to always, anytime I can speak with you, it's it's an exciting time. So here we are. I know. The first time we actually met was at the Teach Better Conference, which feels like a really long time ago, but really wasn't if you really look at the calendar. But it was an amazing time to, to meet you. You brought so much energy. You were on the podcast for the first time on Aspire. And then I got to see you speak. It was great to network with you at that time. And now I get to serve with you on the Teach Better team. Yeah, it's exciting. It's beautiful. I feel like how the universe kind of makes makes paths cross and and makes makes these beautiful intersections, especially in the world of education. So it's been amazing to see what the universe has done with our paths and and brought us together in so many different ways. So I feel like it was just a matter of time. It was a matter of time. So Becky, before we jump into the world of science and your universe, I'd love to hear about your educational journey. Yeah, so I started teaching a little while ago, about 15 years ago, and I started in the world of education in public school. I was teaching grade five inclusion at a local school. I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I went off to college, came right back here, and I started teaching fifth grade, all subjects. For about seven years, I taught inclusion and self-contained, and then I jumped into the world of independent school eight years ago and started specializing in the world of science. So for the last eight years, I've been teaching K to five science at an independent school, still in Virginia Beach, still Mm -hmm. in my, my stomping grounds. But it was about five years ago that I started, I, I said that I started specializing in science eight years ago, but five years ago, I jumped also into the world of field science. So in order to be, to be a better science educator, I decided you know, what, what better professional development than to actually go and do science, you know, rub elbows in the Amazon rainforest with other scientists and, and learn and develop my professionalism in, in a completely different way that oftentimes, I don't think you hear often teachers going into the field or even elementary teachers going into the field in places like the Amazon. So at the time for me, I needed to grow in my and my science journey in the world of education. So I completely took this path. I made it up. I keep making it up as I go along <laughs> and looking for looking for opportunities. Like this summer, I'll be in Iceland to wow. study uh, glaciers and global climate change indicators and geothermal energy. So, you know, what better way to learn about those things than on site next to other scientists, next to other educators, and then bringing that back to the, to students, I think is, is absolutely amazing. So any chance I get, that's that's what I'm doing. That's amazing. So I want to talk about that more with field science yeah. because yeah. I'm just picturing someone listening to the podcast who's passionate about science and they're listening to you and they're like, Iceland and the forest, you know, what an amazing opportunity that would be. So for those folks, what does that even look like as a teacher, but then also a field scientist? How do those two worlds merge and how do you have time to do both of those pieces? Yeah, it it can be tricky. And so generally, when I go out into the field and I do an expedition, it's usually in the summertime because I'm an educator, right? Mm -hmm. So I have the summers off to do professional development. And so that's what I do. I first got into expeditions by being inspired by a scientist that I met, a geothermal scientist named Andres Riso. And he did 
he, he leads field expeditions in the Amazon studying something called the Boiling River, which is a thermal river system in the Amazon, which is not normal, right? Thermal river systems, if you're not familiar with that, are river systems that are so hot that the water literally boils. And wow. so that happens in places like Iceland, naturally, because there's volcanic activity in Yellowstone National Park in the United States, generally not in the middle of the Amazon except for this one river. And so when I heard this scientist speak, I, I felt called to his message. I felt called to him and inspired by him, motivated by his message and by his work. So I decided to just connect with him on the internet and say, hey, I am an educator, will you talk to my students? And then eventually we formed this relationship and I, I quite literally invited myself on an expedition with him. <laughs> so I don't necessarily condone that for everyone. Sure. Um, I It worked out for me, but really the way that I get into the field is by creating those relationships and, and seeking opportunities. So going to the Amazon is a super unique situation for me personally. I, I just went for it, honestly, but I went to Galapagos with National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions through a fellowship called the Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship. And so that's an opportunity that you can apply for and you, you seek that opportunity. There's lots of smaller field expeditions that you can go on around the world that are of that nature and are probably more typical of professional development field experiences that teachers can have. But if you're interested in something like that, connect with me because I would, I would love to share what I know and my experience and in, in finding those opportunities for you, but also just try look for those opportunities. That's my biggest advice. If you want to try something, go out and try it. That's what I do. And I half jokingly, but half seriously say, I make it up as I go along. I just, I want to go to Iceland. So I looked for opportunities to go to Iceland and study what I, I felt like I need to study in order to be a better educator. Being in the field, there's nothing like it. It's, it might not be for everyone, but for me, it's definitely become who I am and a piece mm -hmm. of my identity. And so I, I can't imagine not going in the field somewhere every summer, at least. All right. So Becky, I love what you talked about with the expedition. So how has that translated into your work as far as a teacher? I know that that experience is probably amazing, but I'm just wondering, you know, has that made you a better teacher? And if so, you know, what are some practices that you've pulled from that experience to help your students? Yeah, so there, there's so much that I've gained from these experiences around the world. One of the biggest things was seeing what it's like to be in the field. And one big component of being in the field is, is the dynamic of your team. Mm -hmm. And I know that we all know that, right? Team dynamics are super important. Communication is super important. You know, all of these things we know as human beings that they're super important. But when you live that reality mm -hmm. in places, especially in the Amazon, it's dangerous. We're working with water that's boiling, right? So you can just imagine if someone or something falls in, that's a big problem, it's yeah. dangerous. And so you learn very, very quickly in places like the Amazon or, or really any experience where you are with a team in a remote location with a very specific goal in mind or a very specific target that you need to achieve, you learn very quickly that those team dynamics are super important. They mm -hmm. can make or break your strategy or your expedition, but also the communication piece was super interesting. And this is something that I've brought back to my classes since the day I returned the first time from the Amazon was communication. So sometimes, especially when you're out in the field, if you're collecting data, you're often collecting data 
either on your own or you are the person in charge of this specific piece of data. So there was one day that I went out with, with a smaller team of three people and I was solely in charge of water chemistry data. And so that, that's what I had to do. I had to organize it. I had to make sure that it was accurate. I had to use the correct protocols. And then when I got back to base camp at the end of the day, I handed my notebook off to someone else. So had I not been organized, had I not been very explicit about the data and the protocols that I used and labeling everything very carefully, when I handed that off, I didn't have the opportunity to say, oh, you know, when I made that little squiggly line, this is what that meant. I had to be very, very clear in what my notes meant because I didn't have the opportunity to communicate later. Someone had to decipher my notes. And so when I bring that back to my students, when I do a field experience with them on campus, maybe they're collecting soil data in different places on campus, I will purposefully put one student in different locations, like maybe four different locations. They're the only one collecting that data. And then I, but I won't tell them ahead of time. I'll just, I'll send them out. They collect their data. They come back to our base camp, which is my classroom. And I have them switch notebooks. And then they have to analyze the data someone else gathered. Mm -hmm. And so when they do that, they realize very quickly, they're like, oh, dang, I got the notebook. I have no idea what the, or I can't even read their handwriting. And then someone else gets the notebook that's super organized and they go, oh my gosh, this was perfect. I could analyze this with no problem. And then instantly I'll, I'll come back and I'm like, oh my gosh, let's talk about this. What happened? Why are you frustrated? Why are you excited? What's missing now? How did we, how did we do with our communication? And then I'll tell them stories from being in the Amazon or being in Galapagos or after the summer, being in Iceland collecting data and just talking about like what you just experienced, so did I. And this is how it worked for us. And this is why charting your data or putting it very specifically in an organized way and writing neatly is super important. Not just because we're mean teachers and we say, use a T chart, use this chart. It's because it has a function. And I think being very explicit about that as educators, you don't have to go in the field to be explicit about organizing data, but if you know why that's important and you explain to your, your students and your learners and your young scientists why being organized is important, then they start to make connections. They're like, oh yeah, that makes more sense. You're not just being mean and you want it a certain way. But yeah, I mean, sometimes we are mean and we want it a certain way, right? But that serves a purpose. It's yeah. not just, I'm telling you to do it this way, so do it this way. No, you need to be able to communicate and that's a part of communication. Mm -hmm. So that that's one really big thing that I brought back and just working more intentionally with team dynamics. Almost everything that we do in my classroom is, is team-based mm -hmm. because when you're in the field, you might do a task by yourself, but you're usually never just out in the middle of the woods or out in the middle of the jungle by yourself. You have a team with you and you have to delegate those tasks. So those were some big big takeaways initially that immediately I was like, Oh, you know, the light bulb went out or went off in the middle of the Amazon. And I'm like, Oh, well, duh. If I explained <laughs> it this way, or I shared this story, mm -hmm. then it would make a whole lot more sense. And it brings out real world experience. Yeah. Back. And like you said, it explains the why. So I love that. I want to talk about your current classroom because you know, following you on Instagram, I get to see all these amazing things that you're doing with your students. But the one thing that was shocking at the beginning of the year is that I got to see your class outdoors. So what has that been like? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's been amazing. So it's always been a goal of mine to flip my classroom. So normally when you hear about flipping the classroom, it's about technology, right? For me, it was flipping being outside more than I'm inside. And so it was in 2020, right before the pandemic hit, actually, I already had a goal for this school year to do that, to go ahead and flip the outside more than I'm inside. And then when the pandemic hit and we were everyone was worried about what is school going to look like when we open. I took the universe's nod and, and, (laughs) and I took it upon myself to pitch the idea to my administration to just teach exclusively outdoors. Of course, there'll be times when we have to be inside, right? The weather is so bad. We have to be inside or, you know, we're doing computer programming and that just makes sense indoors, but I flipped my classroom outside. And so I've been teaching all year in an outdoor space that had previously kind of been a lounging courtyard area. There were, there's a big chess board with big chess pieces and there were some seating things there, but not, not really conducive to a classroom setting or really mm-hmm. a field science setting. And so it's been quite an experience transforming this area and having my students, my scientists taking over the space and, and really digging into what does the space look like? What can we do? What do we, do we, do we want to tackle that we have an area of this outdoor space that floods all the time, any type of rain it's sprinkling and, and we have a swamp area. And so my students saw that happen and they were like, well, why don't we just turn this into a marsh? Wouldn't that solve the problem? Like, you know what? Yes, it would. So why don't you figure out how we turn this into a marsh? So we, we took those natural experiences, those natural learning opportunities, and we've, we've turned them into the curriculum. So I still have curriculum, right? I still have standards that I cover, but I'm just doing this in an outdoor setting. So I'm just transforming how I get to the end result, how I meet standards is slightly different because I'm outside. And then even as a result of this, I applied along with two friends, two educators, one in Wisconsin, one in Canada, we applied for a National Geographic grant, which we won and we formed a team and a project called Outdoor Education Collective. And the point of the project is to make outdoor education accessible no matter where you are, no matter how experienced or not you are with being outside or some schools are still fully remote and they Mm -hmm. probably will continue next school year or they've transitioned to hybrid or they've come back in person or anything along the spectrum. We want educators to understand that yes, you can do outdoor education, even if you're remote, you can do it hybrid, you can do it in person, you can do it if you're teaching language arts or science or math or any combination of those. So our project has lesson plans, it has blogs and video tutorials on how to do that, whether it's your first time stepping outdoors with students or you're like me and you're ready to just flip and just go as exclusively outdoors as physically possible in your geographic location. So it's been super exciting. I can definitely tell a difference in student engagement and the authenticity of our studies. We're outside all the time and and these natural learning opportunities just pop up. Like today, I was holding an Eastern swallowtail butterfly on my hand because it was there in the garden and a student brought it to me and and we studied it because it was there. Why not, right? (laughs) So it's been just amazing. And I notice a difference in myself too. The days that I have to be inside, I can feel it in my whole being. My persona changes slightly and it's not, 
it's not dread of being inside, but it, it's definitely different to, yeah. to now go back to teaching inside. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to take a quick break to thank all of the amazing teachers this year. Thank you for your dedication, perseverance, and inspiration. Thank you for your wisdom, guidance, and your kindness each day. We appreciate that you never gave up, especially when you had no idea what tomorrow may bring. Thank you for always believing in your students and trying to be better each day. The Teach Better Podcast Network wants to wish you a very happy Teacher Appreciation Week. You know, a lot of leaders, a lot of administrators are listeners of this podcast, and so for an administrator that is going into a classroom, a science classroom specifically, what are some things that they should see and hear in that experience that they truly know that these scientists are getting the best type of education that they possibly can? Because what I am picturing as far as most people coming in, they might be doing a lab, but that seems very different than what you just explained in your own classroom. So in a perfect world, what should our administrators, when they walk into a science classroom, what should they see and what should they hear? Yeah, so labs, labs are fantastic, but oftentimes we get stuck in this, here's here's the lab of the unit, yeah. right? The lab of the entire unit, which it's better than nothing, but we can do better. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if you're doing pure science and you're doing authentic science and the students are engaging together, they're having conversations together, they are problem solving, you're you are not telling them much of the content, they're exploring it. So for example, a common elementary study is magnetism, right? So magnets. So maybe you do have an anchor chart on the side of your your classroom with magnets and magnetism and attract and repel and maybe some photos to go along with it or sketches, but the students should have magnets, right? We can find, if you don't have the exact magnets from the science catalog, Mm -hmm. you probably have magnets on the board in front of you. You might have magnets hanging something on the outside in the hallway. Those are natural scientific integrations, right? We're using magnets in a way, go find them. Or better yet, have your scientists find them. You can say, oh my gosh, where can we find some magnets? And I bet you $500 that those <laughs> or those kindergartners are going to find those magnets faster than you do. Mm-hmm. So just involving authenticity or, or looking at how the science is integral to their lives. So like magnets we use all the time, right? We can find them everywhere. So we don't have to have the special magnets that are ordered from that science catalog, you have them somewhere already. Or if we're studying something like physics, you don't have to have these big demonstrations and all of these tools and official scientific equipment. Do you have rubber bands? Because pulling a rubber band back and letting it go, not only is it fun and you don't normally get to do that, that's science, that's physics, or even Hot Wheels, cars and tracks. That's easy physics that your students probably have seen before they probably played before they just didn't realize oh my gosh potential and kinetic energy oh laws of motion velocity speed so if an administrator is going into a room they should see the students do it i'm not even gonna say students they should see the scientists investigating and doing some sort of interaction not just once in the unit but every single day they should be doing something they should be communicating with each other they should be using scientific vocabulary in an authentic way, not just 
copying from the chart, not doing rainbow words, because that, that has a place, but that's not going to teach me what kinetic energy means. I need to experience that. So if we're looking and we're seeing, we're observing as administrators, authentic use and experiences with material, what does this look like in everyday life? That's what you're really looking for. Mm -hmm. And I know readers, leveled readers with nonfiction texts are, are a big thing right now. And they do, again, I'm not saying they're bad. They do have their place in education, but science is meant to be experienced. It's the same thing. It's the same way when you learned how to walk, that was science. That was actually physics at play. Right. And it was the scientific method happening all at one time. You tried and you tried and you tried and you failed and you failed and you failed until one day you didn't fail anymore and you learned how to walk. Yep. There was no video demo. Your parents weren't standing in front of you explaining how to balance and the physics and the friction between your feet and the floor. They didn't explain any of that. They didn't give you a multiple choice test at the end, but yet somehow all humans or most humans know how to walk and they never forgot, even though they were never tested in the standardized way that we see in, in the world of education. So seeing that authenticity, seeing, practicing, doing science is super important. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So let's talk about a project that you've got going on that's going to be releasing sooner then later in the year 2021, which is Expedition Science, Empowering Learners Through Exploration. So what is that book all about? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. So it's my first book and it's all about looking and experiencing science differently. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that I've talked about, looking at professional development differently, it doesn't have to be, it can be a course or a workshop or a conference. And those are great. I, I attend those regularly, but could you experience science in particular in a different way? And I talk a little bit, I share my experience with field expeditions. Can we, instead of front loading vocabulary, can we just sneak it in yep. to a lesson, right? Instead of saying, this is the first law of motion, can you set your students up to experience it with those Hot Wheels tracks? And then once they experience it, you go, oh my gosh, that's called the first law of motion. And, and you know, there's this guy, Sir Isaac Newton. And then, and then you kind of go into it. You plant that seed and then you walk away. Mm -hmm. And then usually a scientist or all of your scientists are like, oh, wait, what, what? Tell me more. Tell me that story. How can I learn more about Sir Isaac Newton or whoever it is or whatever that word is? And they're eager to use that word. So as you're monitoring their discovery of these concepts, you can listen in. Oh, dang, they just use that word. Yes. You know, like score one for me, or if they're not, you can find ways. I, I think of science as being a master gardener. So you're always planting seeds, planting seeds, and you're seeing what germinates. And if it doesn't germinate, just like your garden outside, what do you do? Well, you can fertilize, right? You, you have all these other things you can replant it somewhere else. You can add sunlight, you can add water, you can do all kinds of things so that that plant does germinate the way you want. And so it's no different in education. You plant the seed, you plant that thought, you plant the experience. And if the, if your scientists run with it, yes, 
If they don't, you find another way. And so it's bringing together that science of teaching and that art of teaching and you're bringing them together so that you are the master gardener and you're making it work for your scientists. You're meeting them wherever they are and you're making them blossom. So the entire book is filled with stories from either in the middle of the Amazon or I'm dropping you right in the middle of my classroom to experience something in, in my experience, in my story, and then breaking it down and showing you why and how that works. So it's, it's um, for me, it's super exciting to share my experience and, and gauge what other people have to say about it. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully they love it. Um, <laughs> but the book is all about just motivating, inspiring, hopefully giving you little pieces that you can use in your classroom the next day, or maybe the next week, or maybe you want to wait the next year to try something out. But just sharing, because I, I believe that the world of education, we're all better when we're sharing our experiences. So mm -hmm. you might not use my exact lesson plan, but you might've heard one idea. And you're like, oh yes, I'm stealing that one idea because that is gonna springboard me to meet my learners where they are. Because all of us, all of our students are different. And even I teach 18 classes. I usually have three classes at each grade level, not even from class to class do I always use the same thing? And rarely actually do I use the same activity or same project because those students are different. And even in that classroom, every single one of those students are very, very different. So I'm going to attack their learning in very, very different ways. So if I can share even one little piece that inspires someone, I'm good. The book was worth it, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and I can assure you, your book is going to help many, many people. And I can't wait to read it as soon as it comes out. So um, look forward to that. That's called, again, Expedition Science, Empowering Learners Through Exploration. And Becky, I can't wait to read that book. Let's talk about leadership real quick before we go into one last topic. But I always like asking my guests about leadership development. So for our aspiring leaders, what is something that they can do tomorrow or next week that's similar to a scientist that can help their leadership skills? That is a fantastic question. I think good leaders and good scientists share their knowledge, share their experience, and they ask others for feedback. So I think part of being a great leader is in in sharing, but also listening. And that, that goes into communication too, right? right? When we communicate, there's, I tell my students this all the time, there's the sharing part where you share, and then there's the listening part. And sometimes that's the harder part, but you have to do both in order to communicate effectively, in order to be a great scientist, in order to be a great leader, is being able to share your experience and then solicit feedback. What, what have you experienced? So if you're sharing a story, say, this was something I'm sharing about myself. What has worked for you? Or would this work for you? Or what have you tried that I didn't think of yet. I think that makes a great scientist, a great communicator, and a great leader. Mm -hmm. So you are now a part of the Teach Better team, and that is a role that's very different than science. So you are now running, really, the Teach Better Speaking Network. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly exciting role. So I'm another, I have lots of passions, and another, a, a passion of mine outside of science and, and outside of what I do in my, my own classroom and what I share out is just elevating the messages of educators mm -hmm. or elevating the messages of leaders that I know around me. And so that's literally what I get to do with the Teach Better team. We have this amazing speakers network. We have these amazing people who have amazing messages. 
and I get to take their message. I get to listen to them. I get to solicit feedback and I get to elevate their message, bring them to new audiences and bring new audiences to them in order to spread their fantastic message. And one of the greatest things about our Teach Better Speakers Network is that every single member has a different message. They have they they might have the same topic, for example, SEL, social mm-hmm. emotional learning, but the way in which they got into that field or the way in which they spread that message or motivate their audiences is very, very different. And so I love learning from them. And I also love seeking opportunities and finding schools or finding conferences or finding opportunities for them to present where I hear a need somewhere else. And I say, oh my gosh, I have this perfect person for you. Let me introduce you. Um, it's, it's like matchmaking almost. Um, and but in the world of education, I'm looking for inspiration and, and growth within that world. So that's, that's really what I get to do. And I get to know and understand and appreciate these different voices and these different messages in the world of education. And, and selfishly, I get to learn a whole lot. So while I'm seeking opportunities or helping them develop themselves and elevate their messages, I get to selfishly learn from them firsthand because I'm that liaison. I'm, I'm helping them make these connections into the world of education specifically. So yeah, the Speakers Network is absolutely amazing. Well, it's been such a joy to work with you on the Teach Better team. And I love what you're doing with the Speakers Network. It has just grown so much since you've had your hands on it. So Becky, if our listeners are wanting to connect with you about science or about the Speaking Network, how can they connect with you on social media? Yeah, so I am on Twitter and Instagram with the same handle, and it's just my last name. It's Schnexer. I'm also on the Teach Better team, and that email is so easy to remember. It's just Becky at teachbetter.com if you want to know more about the work that I do with and for the Teach Better team. And for science and education or, or anything outside of Teach Better, you can find me anywhere on social media. And I have a website that I'm sure we'll put in the description of this mm-hmm. podcast episode, but it's expeditionschnexer.com. So you can read or connect with me about any of my science expeditions or, or anything. I also share silly science jokes on social media because why not or you'll you'll get a peek inside of my classroom and some funny anecdotes and you know uh, hopefully some inspiration motivation along the way most definitely so the inspiration is there i love the journey that becky shares within her social media so definitely follow her and yes all of those will be in the show notes becky it is always a joy to speak with you i i just love every time that we are able to connect And I just appreciate the wisdom that you provided for our young scientists and our teachers and our administrators today. Yeah, thank you for having me. The universe knows what it's doing when it makes people and opportunities and and all things education cross paths. It's just meant to be.